You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi folks and welcome to episode 108 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host Bart Bouchotts and this is the show for September 2022. It is a solo show this month and um, I, I think I want to have a serious conversation with you about something that's very important but not particularly enjoyable, not particularly fun, but it could really end up ruining your fun if you get it wrong. Um this episode is, I won't quite say inspired by, you know, sort of triggered by, you know, the reason I think it's worth doing is because I have been listening to a friend of the show suffer. So um, anyone who listens to Antonio Rosario's podcast, uh, Street Chats Photography, will know that as well as having lots of other, you know, unpleasantness in his life with, you know, the loss of his late wife to cancer recently, simultaneously, he also lost his Instagram and that was his place for sharing. That was his community. Like losing that in the middle of everything else that was going on was a big deal. In fact, even if everything else hadn't been going on, it would have been a big deal, but it was just a real kick in the teeth to, to, to lose the Instagram at the same time as all of this other shenanigans was going on. So I, I really, really feel for Antonio on this one. And you can hear the frustration in Antonio's voice that, you know, Instagram aren't doing more to help him. But unfortunately, it's not in their best interest to. And unfortunately, we have to live our photographic lives on the understanding that when it comes to social media, we are not the customer. We, we are the kindest thing is we are the user, but really, ultimately, fundamentally, we're the product. And it is just not in their interest to help us if we were into trouble. So we have to take responsibility and we have to be the ones to do everything we can to protect ourselves, to minimize the chances of us ending up in the icky situation where we lose our social media or to maximise our chances of getting back in if something icky happens. So, basically, I want to talk to you about cybersecurity for photographers. And before I get into any sort of weeds, and I don't plan on going very deep into any sort of weeds, because this is a photography show, right? I want to share as much cybersecurity as I think will be helpful and no more. I don't, I don't want to go deep here. I, I just want to give some hopefully helpful advice that won't get all cluttered because I surround it with too much other nonsense and waffle. But I actually do think it's really, really important to always take a step back and understand the incentives that are at work because incentives drive people, incentives drive organizations, and incentives drive companies. So if you don't understand the incentives, Actions won't make sense. And the most important thing to understand about those incentives is money. Basically, in my opinion, one of the most important things to get yourself prepared for cybersecurity stuff is to follow the money. Understand how money is being made 
and then you'll have a much better idea of what's going on. So I mentally break follow the money down into five categories. So every service I use online falls into one of these five categories, in my opinion. And, you know, they're a cover broad spectrum. Um, The single nicest thing to use online is a truly free service. They have some sort of self-sustaining charitable foundation. So they are on a long-term stable footing where they do not need to charge their users. They are offering a genuinely free service. That is very rare. Really, the only really big one I know is Wikipedia. Wikipedia is run by a charitable foundation. It is genuinely, truly free. What's way more common when you, particularly new, cool, shiny, fun stuff, tends to fall into what I call free for now. So these are startups. They are corporations, for-profit companies, who are intentionally running at massive losses thanks to angel investors. And the only thing they're trying to do is to build up a massive user base at a massive loss, at annual losses are ridiculous. And the intention is to sell. And the moment they sell, all of those free users become the product. And so the moment they sell, all of the incentives flip around and you, the user, are going to end up on the short end of pretty much every stick. So free for now is probably one of the most dangerous business models because it looks too good to be true and it is too good to be true because it's not sustainable. It's not on a long-term footing. They are intentionally making a loss so they can sell you later. And we've seen this a million times where, like Instagram would be a great example, right? They they started off as a independent company. They built themselves up to the point where they could be sold and then they sold to Facebook. That is the free for now business model. It is, they are go, it's so luring, it's so appealing and it's so dangerous for the long term. So be very wary of free for now. A much happier business model. Actually, I'm going to reorder my show notes and put the next, uh, change the order here. Free for now inevitably moves into what I call freepy, free and then PI for personal information, which rhymes with creepy. I made up the word. Um, basically, free but creepy. And this is the business model of your Facebooks, your Instagrams, your Twitters. It is. Offer the user a service for no financial cost in exchange for hoovering up all of their data and selling it. Basically, you are the product business model or privacy capitalism. There's a couple of different words for it. But basically, that freepy model is the reason that Instagram couldn't care less that Antonio lost his account. They couldn't be bothered answering his emails. And that is because it is a freepy business model. And The amount of creepiness varies from company to company, but ultimately the incentive is to hoover up as much information as you can get away with. Because the more you hoover up, the more you can monetize, better, the more profit you will make. So the incentive is to be as privacy invasive 
as the user base will tolerate. And that's just not a healthy incentive. And that is why I am so critical of social media, because they're all built on this freepy business model. Now, freepy shouldn't be confused with the more positive business models I want to pivot to now. Freemium is not necessarily a bad thing at all. If a company has a well-worked-out sustainable, right, sustainable is a key word here, if, if a company has worked out a sustainable business model where they give basic services for free and then they sell their more advanced products, so that could be services to consumers for free, but to organizations who want you know features for managing groups of people, they cost. That's an example of a freemium model. Uh, you know, services like Dropbox are freemium. There is a free Dropbox account and you get X amount of storage. Uh, but if you want more, you have to pay. Or if you want the or the features for managing an organization, you have to pay. And I actually heard an interview many, many, many moons ago when Dropbox were still a new and hip thing. And I was deeply suspicious because I thought, is this a freebie thing? And I heard an interview with the CEO and they described the fact that they have built their business model on the idea that I think it was 1% of customers would upgrade or something like that. And as long as they were able to get that very, very small amount of people to pay for the full product, they had a sustainable long-term business model. And so they were thinking in terms of our free product is a funnel into our paid product. And therefore we don't, it's not in Dropbox's interest to monetize you by selling your privacy and stuff because they're trying to monetize you by making you like them enough to pay them for the better service. So the incentives line up with a freemium model to keep you happy. Another company with a freemium model is Dropbox. Sorry, not Dropbox, Evernote. Unfortunately, they're just run by idiots and they're just making a bad product, um, which is my personal opinion. I'm I used to love Evernote because it was a product with such promise. And then I just became this bloated piece of slow crapware. I'm sorry, it's awful. Um, and I pay them because I'm trapped, which is also ick. You, know, you kind of want to be careful about getting into something where you, your stuff is kind of trapped. Anyway, I was sorry, freemium isn't supposed to be a downer. Freemium is actually a potentially very good business model. So a service, you know, where, of course, the best way to deal with the freemium product is to actually go the extra mile pay for the higher tiered service because then you literally are the customer and if you are the customer the incentives line up wonderfully which takes us into the fifth category of company paid services it's so simple you pay you're the customer the incentive is to keep you happy everything just lines up perfectly if you want something really good pay for it it really is that simple so on the two ends of the spectrum, you have Truly Free, which is some sort of charitable foundation. You have the absolute low point in the middle of Freepy. And then you sort of climb back out again with uh, your freemium and your paid service. And of course, only just below Freepy is your free for now, which is basically Freepy in the making. They're just luring you in to build up the user numbers. So with all of that in mind, that is what's driving these things. And most social media is very strongly driven towards the free P business model, because if you put up a payment barrier to join in, then you won't get the network effect of having everyone be there. Why is everyone on Facebook? Everyone's on Facebook because everyone's on Facebook. And that network effect probably would have been impossible to make with a paid model. Maybe a freemium model would have been possible. It's not been successfully 
demonstrated in the social media space. So maybe it's possible, maybe it's not. Twitter are given that a, a go now with Twitter Blue. Maybe, maybe that will work. We shall see. Anyway, that is that is the money, and that applies not just to photography, right? That applies to every hat you wear in life. When you're evaluating services, follow the money. So now let's switch our focus to we're photographers and we want to share our work because sharing your work is such a fun part of photography. It's it's really important. So we know now that all social media at the moment is on the freepy business model. Their incentives are to hoover up as much of your private data as you will tolerate and to monetize you that way. So you are the product. So they're not going to help. If you lose access to your account, they don't care. You must take responsibility for your own account because no one else will. So the easiest piece of advice, the lowest hanging fruit here, is to use a strong, unique password. It is so important the password be unique. And the reason it has to be unique is because there are password breaches all over the internet. If you use the same password on 20 sites, chances that zero of those 20 have been breached is pretty darn close to zero these days. So you cannot use reuse passwords because when the bad guys break into a password database, they will simply try those users and names and password combinations or email and password combinations everywhere else they can think of on the internet because the chances are, sorry, because many people reuse passwords, therefore they're pretty much guaranteed that the passwords from one breach will work in at least a couple of other places for at least a couple of the people. Like, the percentage of success they will have by taking those same usernames and passwords elsewhere is very, very far above zero. It works. It's called password stuffing. It's a very common attack by, by bad guys. So you need unique passwords everywhere. And they need to be strong. They don't, you know... Yeah, they have to be strong. I'm sorry, there's just no other way around it. I was going to say you don't have to outrun the bear, but yeah, you kind of do have to outrun the bear because automated password cracking is so powerful that you kind of do need to outrun the bear. So you need strong, unique passwords. And in effect, that means you need a password manager because we humans are terrible at generating strong passwords in the first place and we're even worse at remembering them when we have a different one for every website. So it's just time to embrace password managers. I'm sorry, it's... Terrible that it's come to this, but you really do need a password manager. Maybe in the future, passwordless will get to the stage where you don't need a password manager anymore, but we're at least three or four years away from that at the most optimistic. So you need a password manager. I'm sorry. The other thing you absolutely need to do on any site you care about even vaguely is enable two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication, so 2FA or MFA. You and you want to avoid any 2FA or MFA is better than no 2FA or MFA. So when you're grading that, it's always a curve. But if you are given the choice between SMS and anything else, pick anything else. Like, you know, SMS is better than nothing, but only just. You really do want your, your one-time codes and you don't want them SMS to you, you want them coming from your authenticator app or something like that. Even better are biometric-based authenticators. Um, so on your Adobe account, for example, you can have it where your phone simply gets 
your phone authenticates you and there's no way a phishing site can interject themselves because you're not going to a website typing stuff in. It's you go to their website and your phone buzzes and you deal with it on your phone. And so phishing is impossible in that scenario because you're not putting anything into the website you're trying to log into. So if that website is faked or proxied, you're not interacting with it. Therefore, it can't be stolen. So it's those kind of, you know, passwordless. That is a, that's an example of a passwordless login. Passwordless really is the amazing way to go. And that is the future. But we're just not there yet enough. But anyway, any 2FA is better than no 2FA. If you can avoid it, avoid SMS. And then the other thing is every website gives you the ability to set up password recovery options. Do that. Configure them. If that means, you know, a special secret set of codes to get back in if you're locked out, do that and save them in your password manager. Stick them into your password manager along with the password. Um, it's just it's just really important to have the recovery options. And I guess the other thing I should say is if the recovery options are security questions, lie. Lie, 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 lie. It's just absolutely vital to lie because it's so easy to, for people to figure out um, basically... Stuff like, what's your mother's maiden name? Anyone who even vaguely knows you who's actually trying to target you, they know that kind of stuff. It's like Sarah Palin was famously hacked her Yahoo account, which she was using for government work, which you're not supposed to do, but leaving that aside. Her Yahoo account was hacked because the genius hacker figured out that she attended Wasilla High. There's only one high school in Wasilla. Everyone knows she's from Wasilla. So when the security question was, where did you go to high school? That wasn't really a security question, was it? So lie, 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 and record your lies in your password manager or be consistent in your lies, whichever you find easiest, but lie, 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 lie. Do not honestly answer security questions or you're making a rod to beat your own back. Okay, so follow the money, protect your social media because no one else will. And the other thing that is very much related to cybersecurity, um, you know, in cybersecurity world, we like to talk about the CIA triad. Um, confidentiality, integrity, and availability. So in other words, if you lose access to stuff, that is actually a security problem. And our photos are our pride and joy. We need to protect them. So backup, backup, backup. Right. Um, computer scientists love to quote Schofield's second law. So in 2008, Jack Schofield, he was a very well-known uh, computer columnist. And in one of his columns in 2008, he coined a very important phrase, which is data doesn't really exist unless you have at least two copies of it. There aren't two copies. It doesn't exist. Now, since he wrote that in 2008, synchronization services have become really popular. And so you might be tempted to think that if you shove it into Dropbox and you have Dropbox on two of your computers, hey, presto, it exists in two places. You've dealt with Schofield's second law. Problem solved. Job's a good one. No, it isn't. Because a synchronized service is effectively one place. If you get a piece of malware on one computer that deletes your photos, that gets synced instantly if you're using a sync service. If you slip up and delete stuff you didn't mean to, that gets synced instantly. It really is just one copy that happens to be physically spread out, but it is actually just the one copy. So don't think of a sync service as a backup. It absolutely, positively is not. Now, notice in Schofield's law, 
He doesn't say two. He says at least two. Well, that brings me to what I think is the best way to think about backups is the three two one backup rule. Three copies, the original, and two backups. Two media. So two of those copies should not be on the same. Right? If you have... If all of your copies are sitting on the same hard drive, that's not good. If you're... In the olden days, if you had everything only sitting on hard drives and nothing archived off the tape or something, that was bad. Now, these days, you can kind of replace the concept of tape and all these weird backups we used to have to do with the cloud. So basically, three copies in two different media, one of them off-site. And so basically, my advice is you handle the two media and the one off-site in one fell swoop by having a cloud backup of some kind. So basically, you have your data, you have a local backup, and you have a cloud backup. Three, two, one. Three copies, two two media, one off-site. Three, two, one. The last thing then I want to touch on from a security point of view is arguably security adjacent, but I think it's actually very, very important. Don't accidentally give away the rights to your your photographs. It's very, very easy to just click by terms and services. Yeah, agree, agree, whatever, whatever, whatever. You may actually be giving away rights. Well, in fact, you almost certainly are giving away rights to your photographs. But the question is, are you giving away way too much rights? Are you getting anything of value in exchange? It's perfectly fine to exchange something of value for something else of value, but be sure you're doing it with open eyes. So terms of service matter. And particularly the small print on photo competitions matter, because I'm sorry to say it is a thing that the small print that photo organizers put into their competitions basically gives them the right to use your images any which way they like to make money off. And actually, the photo competition is really just a front for people hoovering up images for commercial use. So be very, very careful when you submit your work. If you want to be able to sell exclusive rights to your images, you basically can't post them online and you can't enter them into competitions. Now, I would say unless you're a full-time professional photographer, selling exclusive rights isn't a thing anyway. And my approach is I'm never going to sell anyone exclusive rights because the chances are really, really high that I either have or will share the photo on social media some stage, in which case it would be illegal for me to sell exclusive rights because just using the social media companies gives them rights over my images. So I can't sell exclusive rights and I just don't. So my approach is I will happily sell an, a perpetual license in other words, you can have the, you can buy this photo of me to do with as you please forever, but I will never sell exclusive perpetual rights. That way, I can still do whatever I want with the image, and I can post it to social media because their terms of service will will assert some level of rights over the image. So do beware that if you upload stuff to social media, if you share stuff in photo competitions or whatever, if you enter stuff into photo competitions or whatever you are giving away rights to your images. And if that's a problem, you can't. Don't do it. Okay, um, I am going to draw a line under it there. I think that's more than enough to be getting on with. Please, 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 if you haven't recently checked your social media, you know, security settings, please take this podcast as a trigger to go do that right now, straight away. Just, you know, pause the podcast, go do it. Set a strong, unique password. Make sure it's safely saved in a password manager. 
enable multi-factor authentication in all the services you care about. Avoid SMS if possible. It's it's always better than nothing, but it, it, you know, it's only just better than nothing. And make sure you have password recovery options configured. And if you are forced to answer security questions, lie, 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 lie. Backup, backup, backup. There aren't two copies. It doesn't exist. Sync isn't a backup. Uh, three copies, two media, one offsite. And be careful about giving away your rights. You will find all of this summarised in actually more Englishy show notes than I usually write for Let's Talk Photography, but you'll find them all over at lets-talk.ie where you will also find shiny big blue buttons under the title Support the Show. I want to thank everyone who has ever supported this show because this show is 100% listener-supported. There are no advertisers, there are no sponsors, there is one source of revenue, you guys, and it is entirely voluntary, which is why I appreciate it so very, very much. The intention here isn't to become like a podcasting professional. The intention here is that podcasting just pay for itself. And that way I can do it as a fun hobby and enjoy it without it being a financial burden. Um, I do have equipment costs. I do have ongoing hosting costs and stuff. So I do need some income. Um, and I really, really appreciate everyone who has ever helped me get some income. I also really appreciate anyone who has ever helped me indirectly get income by simply talking about the show with friends, sharing it on social media, because the more people know about the show, the more people will be listening there for the bigger pool of people from which contributions can come. It's the same idea as the freemium business model, right? If just 1% of listeners contributed one euro per year, I'd, I'd be absolutely sorted, you know? So spreading the word is actually helping me pay my bills, believe it or not. Just, you know, there's a multiplier on it. So, anyway, I just really appreciate it when anyone helps the show in any way, shape, size, or form. The two most prominent ways of helping directly financially are Patreon. You subscribe to, you pledge basically a certain small dollar amount to the show each month. Actually, you you pledge for each episode. There are two episodes a month, one photography, one Apple. So if you would like to give me, you know, $2 a month, pledge $1 per episode. That's the basic idea. And the great thing is that the, the Patreon money is approximately equivalent to the monthly bills at the moment. So that mostly, you know, give or take, takes care of the bills. Uh, And then the other way of helping the show is PayPal, which is an amazingly efficient way of giving one-off large donations. PayPal is terrible for small donations, right? The fee structure is such that if you try to send me a euro through PayPal, I get literally, I think it's 64 cent of that euro. Almost half of it goes to PayPal. Whereas if you give me 10 euro once a year or whatever, then nine euro something comes to me. And so, you know, PayPal get a tiny percentage of it. So PayPal is great for one-off larger donations. Patreon is amazingly efficient for small regular donations. They just have clever ways of working around the fees by batching stuff together. Um, At the moment, I'm particularly keen on having some PayPal money come in because I have just made a rather sizable investment in hardware. Um, I have been recording on a 2018 iMac for, well, since 2018, really. So it's four years coming on five years. And it it's getting a bit long on the tooth. I need a new computer. So I've ordered one. Um, it's kind of large and expensive, and I could definitely do it with some money to help offset the cost. So if all goes to plan, the next episode will be recorded on a Mac Studio with a shiny new boom arm holding my mic in the perfect position, as opposed to this boom arm I have at the moment, which is a little bit too short for my desk. 
Um, so anyway, hopefully the next time I'm talking to you, it'll be from an amazing setup. And anyone who feels like throwing some money through PayPal, definitely a good time now to help offset that rather sizable investment. Okay, I have blathered on for long enough. I've been your host, Bart Bouchard, so you can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy snapping. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Yeah, I think just a straight ad, don't you? Yeah. Like what? What would we say? Like tech fan podcast uh, or? Are you Are you interested in technology and gadgets? Uh huh. Do you um want to listen to two guys who know technology and gadgets? Are we claiming to be those guys? Yes. <laughs> well, there, there we go. Are we claiming to be that be those guys? You be the judge. Tech fan podcast. No. That'll work. Let's use that as an ad.